it's not that ADHD is an excuse. It can never be an excuse, I think, but it's an explanation. Mm-hmm. So if I do something clumsy or if I blurt out something, I don't tell people, oh, that's my ADHD. But I might say something like, oh, I, you know, I tend to blurt out things and I'm really sorry. You know, I didn't mean to hurt your feelings or whatever. I, t- I take more responsibility for it, but it's like it's something outside me more than it was before. Thomas Edison, Richard Branson, John F. Kennedy, Mozart, Michael Jordan, Will Smith. That sounds like a list of highly successful titans in a variety of vocations. Why is it that we rarely hear that they have or had ADHD? And you know what we hear even less about? Serena Williams, Emma Watson, Mel Robbins, Whoopi Goldberg, Agatha Christie, Aaron Brockovich, Cher. Yeah, the successful women navigating ADHD. And that's exactly why I started this podcast, ADHD for Smartass Women. I'm your host, Tracy Atsuka. I'm a lawyer, not a doctor, a lifelong student, now a coach. I'm also the creator of Your ADHD Brain is A-OK, a system that helps people like you figure out what they should do with their life. And we're here today to talk ADHD, your strengths, your symptoms, your workarounds, and how you proudly stand out instead of trying to fit in. I credit my ADHD for some of my greatest gifts. And you know what? I spy a happier life for you too. So without further ado, a shiny new episode is starting now. I am your host, Tracy Otsuka. Thank you so much for joining me here for episode number 228 of ADHD for Smartass Women. I hope that you'll subscribe to this podcast and our newsletter over at tracyoutsuka.com. You know my purpose. It's always to show you who you are and then inspire you to be it. And in the thousands of ADHD women that I've had the privilege of meeting, I've never met a one that wasn't truly brilliant at something. So, of course, I am especially delighted to introduce you to Katherine Ellison. Katherine Ellison is a Pulitzer Prize-winning investigative reporter and author and co-author of 12 books, including the ADHD family memoir, Buzz, A Year of Paying Attention. She lives in the next county over from me, Marin County, has two sons, three dogs, and a very patient husband. Catherine, welcome. Thank you so much. It's really a pleasure to meet you. Yeah. Okay. So first I need to know about your dogs. (laughs) Well, we have two pandemic pooches and Uh one 17-year-old matriarch. The matriarch is our designer rescue dog. And the others, we just, like so many people during the pandemic, we needed more dogs around. So we've got quite a pack here. So are the two both rescue dogs? Just one. Just <laughs> one. To say. It's like my other dog's rescue dog, right? <laughs> so I knew that you'd be a do-gooder, but I just expected that you'd only <laughs> have rescue dogs. <laughs> no, 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 no. no. <laughs> well, that we makes me feel better. I'm a hypoallergenic doodle kind of dog owner because 
My husband is deathly allergic, although yeah, yeah, we that's my that. reason too. Right, we've got two, do- so we've got two doodles too, and I hear you have a puppy now. Yeah, well, and he's he's our doodle. So we've got a Shisu that you know we bought oh, yeah. off of Craigslist. I'm not sure that's the best way to buy a dog, and we have the you know the health bills to prove it. But she's um, she's sweet. And then for my birthday last November, I got a um, a golden doodle, and he's lovely. But he was in the ER last night because he got a foxtail in his ear. So, well, that's um, awful to see them in such pain. It's really horrible. Yeah, and it was surprising because he seemed so phlegmatic, but he was really, really upset. And so we knew we had oh. to do something. Okay, so before we start, I just want to say a few things. I think that your book, Buzz, A Year of Paying Attention, is one of the very best ADHD books out there. In fact, I just told my team that we need to add it to our ADHD book list. Look, um, for our listeners out there, if you have a child with ADHD who's also a bit oppositional, you absolutely have to read this book. It is so entertaining, so funny, but also really impactful, and it will make you feel connected and not so alone. And I actually, Catherine, had purchased it. I think, so my son was diagnosed in 2012. And so I think it was probably the end of 2012, the beginning of 2013 that I bought it. But in true ADHD fashion, I I didn't even start it. I can't even say that. It just kind of ended up on my bookshelf. And I today, I really, really wish that I would have read it because then I wouldn't have had to figure it out all myself. I just think it is such a good book. And I I really sincerely mean that. And I, I know, you know, our listeners know that I'm not going to say something isn't outstanding if I don't <laughs> think that, you know, it's outstanding. However, this is not the book you should read right before you turn in your final manuscript with all back matter, you know, for copy editing, which I did late last night. You oh, are such an amazing writer. Oh, and... Granted, you have Pulitzer, so why, oh, why would I ever compare myself to you? But, oh, my gosh, it is, it's just a romp while you. you're learning so much, right, about ADHD. So I just, I want to say that, gosh, why didn't I read it sooner? However, <laughs> before we actually go into talking about the book, because I'm sure this will all lead into the book, can we talk about your ADHD diagnoses first? Sure. Um, I just have to respond, though, to what you said. I really want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. That book is my baby. It's my favorite of my books. I just spent a lot of time re-updating it and reissuing it and making sure the audiobook was out there. Because I've over the years, I've gotten so many wonderful letters from people. And I, the ironic thing is that after I wrote it, I I had to deal with such increased problems with my son that I didn't have time to really get out and publicize it. So people find the book and I'm really thrilled that they do, but I've only, I'm, now I'm starting kind of on a new wave of trying to publicize it because I, it seems to help families. And I listened to the podcast of you and your son, and it sounds like he was not, I mean, it sure doesn't sound like he's oppositional now. He came on your show at 17, right? Okay. So I think the difference between Marcus and Buzz is Marcus has some anxiety. And I think that is what has always kept him in check. However, 
Yeah. He has told me he, he got into a lot of trouble, like, you know, suspensions, you know, being okay. stoned at school. You okay, know, he was a freshman. <laughs> he was a freshman. And the seniors took him off because the difference, too, between Buzz and Marcus is Marcus is super social. So that is his forte. Richard Marcus. Well, he sounds yeah, and so that, a lot more together than Buzz was at that age. Although Buzz- my heart, though, went out to you because I can't imagine dealing with all of the ADHD stuff. And Marcus is also dyslexic. And I think his dyslexia was more a problem than the ADHD. Wow. But I can't imagine dealing with all of the ADHD stuff and then watching a child who struggles with relationships, friendships. That I, I just don't even know how you do that. You know, it was heartbreaking, but I do want to say this. We Mm -hmm. had some years of pure hell after I wrote the book. Uh, (laughs) I mean, like a thousand times worse than the the worst scene in that book, which gets pretty bad. And two weeks ago, he was married at my sister-in-law's house overlooking the water in, you know, here in Marin. And it was just one of the happiest days of my life. He found a, a wonderful wife. He's got a great job. He's come around completely. And what I'm so proud of is that our relationship held firm because I suspect you might know what it's like having ADHD and having a child with ADHD, you do tend to get into clashes because each of you maybe thrives on the stimulation of, you know, excited emotions. And um, that, that happened all too often for us, but I'm, I'm so happy that we're really great friends now. Absolutely. And I'm sure that he now sees, oh my gosh, all the work that you and love, right? That you put into trying to help him in this world where, honest to God, I just blame the school system. I blame the school system for all of this, you know? Yeah. And especially in Marin. So I'm in Sonoma County. You're in Marin. So my daughter went to Branson. Oh, wow. And I know the pressures. Wait, the pressures that are put on kids in Marin County. It is insanity. Yes. So yes. can you imagine a child that is, so my, my son applied to Branson, was not accepted. And that was kind of the beginning of when he really started to struggle because you have a kid that is so bright, but at the same time is so lacking in like, they can't figure out this consistently being inconsistent. How no. can I be so bright? But these basic things, like I just can't seem to do. And I don't know about Buzz, but was he, Marcus was really ambitious. No, no. Buzz, after years of struggling in the school mm-hmm. system, Buzz kind of gave up. And yeah. he, he what was about when he was little. When he was little, he was super, um, he was at the top of his class when he was little. He's, he's a very bright kid, very talented. And I think schools very often d- destroy kids like that. We're, we're really lucky that they didn't. And I will say that I, Teachers, by and large, are hero heroes, heroines. I admire and still yeah. And going through the pandemic, it's insane that anybody stays in that job. It's really a hard job. However, after decades and decades of knowing that there are neurodivergent kids, by whatever name we call them, there ought to be some better ways that schools deal with these kids. They're not few of them. And um, they just seem to be totally lacking. It's like every teacher is discovering these kids anew. And in school, you really don't know. They don't even know about dyslexia. How do you not know? And not all teachers, obviously, but 
My son, when he went to high school, he went to this um, new high school and they promised us, you know, they were going to teach to interest. I, you probably heard it because you said you listened to the podcast. Tell me which, which school was it? I'm sorry. It, which it's called? Uh, the, <laughs> wait a minute. Now I'm trying to remember. I think it was. So they took a name and then discovered that, oh, it was the name of something that Bill Gates had. And so they had to change the name. So I think the name is Quest Forward Academy, unless that's the oh. bill. I, I like blocked it out of my brain. But they promised us, you know, that they were going to teach the interest. And they actually had, you know, on their staff, their, their whatever you, what did, heads, head of schools, like everybody had taught at Stanford. These were Stanford professors. Well, I- and they still, no one knew what dyslexia looked like. And that was really the big piece that was missing for him until he went to college. So, and congratulations, by the way. Yeah, that he's uh, really congratulations to both of you to to getting to that point. Buzz ended up being kicked out of college and went on kind of a a foray into the world. And then Somehow he turned around. There was there was a time when we wouldn't even let him back into the house, oh. and, but we were keeping up communication, and that was the time that he taught himself Russian, and ended up going to the Monterey School of Languages and going to the Republic of Georgia and getting internships, and he ended up in Columbia University. It was quite a oh my gosh, what a, I know kids are brilliant if we just you know acknowledge it. And the thing is that you cannot do any of this with negative emotion. They will shut down. Exactly. And I think Tracy, you know, you and my, you and I are moms who are really on it. And I worked for many, many years in juvenile hall, uh, teaching kids writing. And it broke my heart to see what happens to smart kids who don't have mothers who are dogging their teachers and being advocates for them. It's, it's, it's really and have the financial resources, right? But right. to even be present because they're not working 10 jobs. Right. Right. And that is what my son said to me. He said, after he got in trouble with um, <laughs> smoking weed <laughs> at huh. school, actually they took him off campus and I'm, but you know, I don't get mad at him. I'm like, what the hell are you school system? Why are, as a freshman, like, he was supposed to be in band and they had 11 drummers. And so they just let those kids go and they don't know where they're going. And, you know, the kids, <laughs> the school had 2,500 kids and, you know, totally underfunded and blah, blah, blah. And my son said to me, mom, so he came home. I actually, we were in Silicon Valley. And so my sister had to go pick him up. And I remember I came home and he was sitting on the couch and he just burst into tears. He was a freshman in high school. He doesn't cry you know, barely ever. He burst into tears. And all I could think of is, why would I pick on him now? Right. He is feeling the worst he can possibly feel. There is nothing more that I could do. And I went over, I hugged him and Aww. I started to laugh. And I said, you know what? You're going to laugh about this in a couple of years. I promise you, you are going to laugh about this. But he knew enough at that point to say, you know what? I'm not making, you know, the friends that I'm around right now, this is not good. And I need to go somewhere else. And so we started looking for another school. And that's how we ended up in high school number two, right? He, there were high school, there was high school number three. And that was finally the best one because it was, honest to God, it was a Catholic school that just had so much structure. And that is what he needed. They had enough structure, but they were also, there were teachers, like a bunch of teachers from Columbia, which was odd, like the university, right? 
And they had senses of humor and funny. And honestly, I think some of them were ADHD as well. And those tend to be the best teachers. But what my son said to me after all of it is he said, Mom, if it weren't for you guys being on it and really, you know, being available and, you know, going to the schools and fighting with everybody, you know, and really supporting me, he's like, I would have been in prison. And he had friends who ended up dying. He had friends who ended up going to prison. You know what I mean? So Right. No, totally. Totally. And you know what? I'm not sure. I mean, I have to say I want everybody to read my book, but I'm not sure that you needed to because back then, because I think you intuitively knew what I came to the conclusion of at the end of the book, which was that you can't be the person as the mother having the power struggles with them and teaching them, you know, what they need to know. You just have to love them. They're getting so much negativity from the rest of the world that they need you to be their solid ally. And, you know, you watch like Bill Maher, Bill Maher really has this thing about indulgent parents and Uh, I I like him for other reasons. (laughs) Anyway. Does he even have kids, Catherine? I know. (laughs) Okay. So this is one of the things that I absolutely need to say. So I had a daughter, I had your Max. Okay. My daughter, Atea. Absolutely. The easiest kid on the face of this earth. We literally took her when we went to France when she was three years old, made her, I now know this is child abuse, made her sit through a three hour French meal and she was an angel. Oh my. People would come over to the table and were like, oh my gosh, you, you know, you have done such a good job with your parenting. And I mean, you know, straight A's, always top of her class. When I asked her to do something, it wouldn't be you know, any pushback, it would be, okay, mommy, how would you like me to do it? (laughs) And so I, Rich, you know, not just me, but also my husband, Rich, we thought this was because of our brilliant parenting. And I would watch the families in Taya's class. She was at, you know, St. Vincent's, also this Catholic school, you know, and I would think, what is wrong with you parents? Get your (laughs) together, right? And I, thank God though, I had her first because what that taught me was, wait a minute, I am raising Marcus the exact same way I raised Taya and there is no way I can't do any of this stuff that I was doing. So I think it's not just people who have never had kids, but it's also people who have had very neurotypical kids who just play by the rules. And you it's know, very easy to judge. Us, right? It's so easy to judge. Have you have you read this whole stream of uh, writing about French kids don't get ADHD? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh my God, well, stuff they like get that. alcoholism and you know drug yeah, addiction. Right. <laughs> you know? Like way worse. Yeah, they just give them a little corporal punishment. That helps. Yeah. And then it's fear or you create the opposition. So, okay, wait a minute. We, you have totally taken the off break schedule, Catherine, but I love it. Okay, so we're going to go back to all this because I have so many questions um, for you. I want to know the circumstances around your diagnosis. Like, I know there was a mommy factor, but, you know, those who haven't read the book don't know. So can you just sort of explain? Well, I think you and I have similar stories as, and to also millions of other parents, because we learned about our own ADHD from helping our child. My son was diagnosed at age nine, and like many other parents, I stood over his shoulder watching him answer the questions, and I was answering the questions in my own mind. And I thought, hmm. And I 
then got diagnosed by my old faithful psychiatrist. I mean, he kind of laughed when I asked him as if it had always been obvious. But my mother and my siblings were totally, they, they did not believe me at all. And they would laugh when I told them I had been diagnosed with ADHD. So to do this book, I felt like the book, my book was all about the double whammy of having ADHD and having a child with ADHD. Yeah. So to do that, I, I went on and got diagnosed like four different ways. But, yep. Right. <laughs> well, when you're successful, right, or quote unquote, what society thinks is successful, you always have that. Is it really true? Is it really true? I've done the same thing four times. Oh, has that happened to you? So people have yeah. questioned, oh, you, you accomplished so much, right? And, and you're thinking at what cost, right? <laughs> when you said your son was anxious, I, I anxiety is so common with ADHD, obviously, and I certainly have it. And I think that that's what first really made me think it was a problem. And mm. then I read so much about how women, women are just so hard on themselves that, first of all, we get diagnosed much later in life than boys who make trouble when they're young. And so it's almost an advantage. But we're, during that time, we're much more likely to have eating disorders, anxiety disorders, depression, self-harm, suicide attempts. So ADHD takes a huge toll on women. And I'm really glad that more young girls are getting diagnosed now earlier. Absolutely. So you were diagnosed once you knew it was ADHD and you had the benefit of hindsight. What were some of the symptoms that you always wondered about, but you now recognize them as duh, ADHD? I can't park. I'm, I'm, I think that's my chief system. I'm the worst parker in the world. People leave notes on my car all the time. <laughs> I have a slide that I show in talks, you know, of one of the notes that just is like somebody just going berserk with all capitals and exclamation. I mean, I make people angry the way I park and I can't seem to fix that. Okay. But why do you think that's ADHD versus like a visual spatial issue? Well, I've always thought of ADHD, at least for me, as encompassing a kind of clumsiness. Like the other day, I just remembered all of a sudden how I was the last kid in my kindergarten class to learn to tie my shoes. And all the other kids had gold stars on their, on their little papers. And, and I was the only one. It was just mortifying. And so I have a certain not I'm not, I'm kind of uncoordinated, although I've played tennis, I've, you know, I've, I've done things like that, but I've also fallen into a manhole and broken my knee. And wait, wait, what? You fell into a manhole? <laughs> yeah, that was just before I got married. I was in Nicaragua and chasing this person I wanted to interview and I, and I fell into a manhole and <laughs> shattered my tibial plateau. Oh my gosh. So I got married on crutches. Yeah, I'm oh, a complete... my first question is, what the hell was that manhole uncovered <laughs> for? Because it was it was Managua, Nicaragua, where you know they. <laughs> I'm sure you're not the only one who fell into that manhole. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, yeah, they call them gringo traps. Um, <laughs> we, just, we don't see them as well. We don't but, expect them. Yeah, yeah. So I've just done all sorts of things like that. I've ridden my bike into a parked car. Just my mind wanders, and so. All of those things kind of made sense after I got diagnosed. I had wondered if I was just like stupid in some way. But you were like us, right? Like there were certain. So how did you do in school? Like did, were there certain subjects you did off the charts and then other subjects? No. Yeah. Yeah. But generally I did. I was an overachiever. My whole family. I mean, I'm the last of four siblings and my three siblings are all doctors. 
to our uh, psychiatrist, which gives you a certain idea about our family. Yeah. <laughs> My brother, who is a psychiatrist, he says, if you get one, it's a warning sign, and two, it's a marquee. <laughs> but anyway, um, we're all overachievers, so I did overachieve, and I think it was, you know, I just pushed myself really hard. And mm-hmm. so I got good enough grades to get into Stanford. But I also got in trouble, like I kicked out of my Hebrew school class because I was making fun of the rabbi and things like that. You know, yeah, I got I, kicked out of Bible study. Didn't you? <laughs> oh my gosh, sisters. <laughs> Soul but sister. not for making fun of someone, for constantly asking, well, why? Well, what do you mean right. fake? Why? Where are the facts? Why? And I think I was just uh-huh. irritating. They kicked me out because they couldn't answer my questions. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So you did really well, went to Stanford. When you were at Stanford, was there this thought that, okay, I'm in Stanford, clearly I'm smart, but what about this other stuff? Was there any other stuff? Well, I had trouble making friends. I mean, I I had a lot of boyfriends, but I didn't have a lot of (laughs) girlfriends. So in that, I was similar to my son and um, very anxious, very nervous (laughs) all the time. And... I don't know. Um, and, and then, you know, that was, I was at Stanford when I rode my bike into the parked car. So things like that were happening. Did you have problems with organization and keeping your house clean and your car? And, or was that stuff easy for you because of anxiety? That wasn't so hard for me then. Mm-hmm. It became harder later. Like, yeah. uh, with yeah, kids, I, right? <laughs> with kids, it's like this whole new, I mean, I spent I spent like 16 years being a foreign correspondent and I was on, I had deadlines all the time and excitement and novelty. And that was comparatively a cinch compared with having What a perfect career, right? For an ADHD brain. It was. was. Headlines, just a sensitivity, spontaneity, you know? No, and a lot of drama. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No, I loved it. Loved it. And then, you know, I came home like a turtle to the Bay Area to have my children and all of a sudden, it, things were really tough. And I don't know, I didn't have much structure when I was a foreign correspondent because I was just responding to events or planning features and immersed in my work. But the structure I had when I came back here, I guess, was all around the children's school schedules and trying to freelance. But I, I had a really tough time handling it. Well, and all the excitement is gone, yeah, right? I mean, right. you're traipsing all over the world, you know, doing all this exciting work. And then, sorry, but I mean, kids are wonderful, but kind of boring, right? The day to day. (laughs) I know. Okay. So you have to tell the story. When you first started working, you got sued. And then what happened? Tell tell me that. that That was a thing that I looked back on and thought, hmm, maybe that was ADHD. Because when I was 22, I was reporting on crimes and courts for the San Jose Mercury News. I had just gotten the job. I was like a year into the job and I was covering a criminal case, a murder case in which the husband of a woman was standing trial for murder for hire. The victim was his wife's first husband. So you can imagine there was a lot of talk. The wife was not charged, but there was a lot of talk about what was her position in this whole thing. And at one point, I misparaphrased the prosecutor in the trial, implicating the wife, saying that, you know, Judy and Robert Singer plotted the death mm-hmm. of her ex-husband. And the copy editor didn't see it. It went into print. 
And five days later, I received a summons for a civil suit for $11 million for libel. And that was Judy Singer suing me. Wow. I later wrote a book about that because after 10 years, the police did find her guilty in the crime. Oh, wow. Yeah. But the, the moral of this story really was that my I'd been making a lot of mistakes up until then, blaming them on other people like I just did on the copy editor. I wasn't taking responsibility. And an editor looked at me and said, you really need to get some psychological help. And you couldn't say that in today's workplace. Of course, you'd get sued yourself. But it was the best advice I ever got. I went into psychotherapy then. My ADHD was still far from being discovered, but we worked on the reasons that I was anxious and the reasons I seemed to be sabotaging myself in this career that I loved so much. So that was, I have to thank Judy Singer for that. (laughs) Isn't it so strange, Catherine, how all of these things that seem so awful and traumatic at the time Right. Always seem like it's almost like the biggest things turn into like the the biggest bad things can turn into the biggest wins, right? If you persist, if you persevere, sometimes they can. I think they can destroy you. But for for people with a certain mindset and resilience, they can be blessings. Yeah. Yeah. And I was lucky. I had somehow I had that resilience. So then, three years later, then you won a Pulitzer. Yeah. Yeah. Luckily, I didn't get fired after that uh, lawsuit. The lawsuit went away and I was able to work on a wonderful project with two amazing other reporters looking into the investments by Ferdinand and Imelda Marcos, who were then the dictators yeah. of the Philippines. They were the buying it. Is now the, yeah, it's back, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> the son is now president of the Philippines. It's, it's kind of awful. <laughs> What are people thinking? Well, I think that they wanted structure. They wanted, they couldn't, democracy is a very hard thing to sustain as we're finding out in our own country. Yeah. But particularly in a country where you've had a military dictatorship that cracks down on crime, makes people feel maybe more secure in that way. Yeah. So Catherine, what has changed since you were diagnosed? The main thing is I've become a lot easier on myself. It's not that ADHD is an excuse. It can never be an excuse, I think, but it's an explanation. Mm-hmm. So if I do something clumsy or if I blurt out something, I don't tell people, oh, that's my ADHD. But I might say something like, oh, I, you know, I tend to blurt out things and I'm really sorry. You know, I didn't mean to hurt your feelings or whatever. I, t- I take more responsibility for it, but it's it's like it's something outside me more than it was yeah. before. Yeah. Yeah. Which is huge, right? Because it really reduces the shame. It does. It really does. And and for that reason, I think I wish I'd known earlier. It's so hereditary. It's not your fault. And it's a, it's, it's a tough thing to manage. You have to come up through your life with strategies to tame it and manage it. And so being able to hook into all the information that's out there was also very helpful for me. So a big thing that's changed since my diagnosis is it's become a niche career for me. I've, I've written three books dealing just with ADHD. I'm linked into a wonderful ADHD community. I do some podcasts of my own. I'm going to Amsterdam later next month for a World Congress on ADHD, which you should go to, Tracy. <laughs> it's really fun. It's like, it's a bunch of psychiatrists. Where, where is it? 
they're doing it in Amsterdam. I'll send you the link afterwards. Um, my, my son was just there on 420. Oh, wow. Oh, funny. What a character. <laughs> well, he's in he's in Prague studying. And nice. so a whole, I think it was like 30 of them went over there, which my daughter did the same thing on 420. I guess it's just a rite of passage for <laughs> spoiled college kids, right? No. And so what, what university did he get into? I, I just have to ask you. He's at NYU. Oh, good for him. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's still, you know, he's like, oh my gosh, this is so friggin' expensive. And I mean, he just can't understand, like, I finally am at the point where I get to university. Why can't I just take the classes I want to take? Right. Yeah. You know? No, no. You still frustrating. have to be. Right. Right. You still have to be a general. You know, they have their um, department for what's it called? Oh, my God. I can't think. But for for kids with, you know, uh, learning challenges. Well, resources. Right. Yeah. They have, uh-huh. yeah. But, you know, he's the resources that they want to give him. So he has really fast processing speed. So the last thing he needs is more time. He's like, you give me more time. I'm going to sit there and I'm going to think and think and think and I'm going to change all my answers and then they're going to be wrong. Right. That's so interesting. Wow. So it's none of, you know, the accommodations that he was given have helped him. But, you know, what was so interesting is we had a big problem with medication. In fact, I think the, you know, when he got suspended in high school, uh-huh. I don't think I know that was because he was on um, he was on Adderall. Really? And it just made him so, he has anxiety, right? So it made him so anxious. And so I think his penchant for weed with this group of friends was to calm him down. So he was self-medicating. And I saw how skinny he was, but he was also playing football, which that was not my choice. I tried everything to talk him out of it, but you know, kids. And he, a really bad football coach, he was so abusive to all of the kids and especially the kids of color. And Marcus would get so, and this, this football coach was, you know, a a football coach of color and Marcus would get so upset because he was so worried about these kids who, you know, didn't have, like they were being raised by their grandparents. They, you know, you know, all of the problems that they had in their families. And then now he was going to, they were going to school, not only struggling with the teachers, but also the football coach who should have known better. Mm. And so I just really thought that, his anxiety and, you know, how upset he was. And he was really, um, like he was in his room a lot. I just thought it was the, the football coach and the new school. He had always been in a small, you know, in small private schools. And, um, so I didn't really think much of it, although just like Buzz, my son is a rapper. That's how he got himself into NYU. <laughs> He's really musically gifted. And, I, but, you know, the, the rap that he created for them to get in, because he, he got into Tish, it was all about the model minority and specifically the Japanese and, intern, you know, the internment camps. And so he was always really interested in history. And so what was my point here? Medi- you started talking about the medication that you had all these problems. Yes. So we just assumed, like me, medication was not going to work. Uh-huh. And so, you know, he decided and we decided like, this is what's causing all these problems. This is the first thing we're going to do. We're going to take you off of this medication. He wasn't eating. And so what happened in college was, you know, when he went back to the uh, Catholic school for his senior year of high school, the Catholic school that he had gone to several years of elementary school 
for. And then he went for two years to a country day school up in Sonoma, Sonoma Country Day School. He went back to this Catholic high school. There were a lot of teachers there that he really liked. He got to study economics, you know, subjects that he was really interested in. And because they were so, the word isn't scheduled, the word is so structured and so on top of things, he could literally go to a website and know exactly what he needed to do. And that was always the problem in the other high schools. He never knew what was expected of him, what was due. So he gets himself into NYU. So he started like learning how to study, right? He gets himself into NYU and the first year, he didn't even know how to write when he got there, but he really became an outstanding writer in one year. Yeah. And he started taking, I think, what is was it his freshman year? I think it was his freshman year. His friend w- has ADHD, really yeah. a lot of ADHD. And he was on Ritalin. And so Marcus took his Ritalin and he came to me and said, I just cranked out 16 hours of writing. I'm like, how the hell did you do that? You couldn't sit still for 20 minutes before. And he said, oh, I took my friend's Ritalin. I'm like, you can't go taking your friend's Ritalin. You know, you have ADHD. You could get your own prescription of Ritalin. So that's what he did. It really worked for him. But you know, he was only on Ritalin for maybe two months. And he came back to me and he said, mom, I don't need to be on Ritalin anymore. I know what to do now. Wow. he basically taught himself and, you know, neuroplasticity and, yeah, you know, wow. I'm sure there were new neural pathways that formed that he now understood what he needed to do to study. Yeah. So because of the anxiety, even the Ritalin, I think, you know, and he was only taking the Ritalin when he needed to really do something like a big paper or he needed to study for an exam. But even that, I think, jacked up his anxiety so he didn't want to take it unless he really needed to take it. And and so he decided, I don't need to take it anymore. You know, it, it's been the same problem. It just makes me so anxious. So one time I took Ritalin and um, no, did I say he took Ritalin? He took Vyvanse. Okay, that's Adderall. It was Vyvanse. Yeah, yeah, which is so Vyvanse, odd, yeah. right? That before, mm. um, but I think it's it's different in that it's the way it, um, it, it, it pulses out throughout the day versus I think Adderall is just like one big chomp. Oh, I, sound so, yeah. Yeah. I sound okay. so like, you know, I know what I'm talking <laughs> about. Like I'm a medical professional here, but um, basically I took Ritalin one time. I went to a doctor in the East Bay who was the head of all psychiatry, women, women's health, women's mental health for Kaiser in North Bay. And she now had a private practice. She was ridiculously expensive, but I went to her and, you know, after a while I realized I'm just a science experiment because nothing was working except for one time I took Ritalin and I was giving a speech, could not memorize the speech to save my life. I've always had really bad memory. And I was driving home and I literally recited that speech five times perfectly. So it was in my brain. Yeah. But the next time I took it, it was just way too much anxiety and never worked again. So I just actually met with a psychiatrist. And because of this book deal, I feel like, you know, I'm really going to have to get my brain together here. And I, we I told me about this book. I, don't, I didn't know about the book. You just, you just delivered it last night, you said? Yeah. Yeah. It's with um, HarperCollins, uh, Morrow. Congratulations. Great. 
and it's called ADHD for smart-ass women. Oh, good for you. Wow. Unlike most people with ADHD, I really don't talk about weaknesses. I only talk about strengths. I know. I know. I love that. Ultimately, you know, I've discovered that that is really what makes the difference, and that's what changes lives. I mean, you know, everybody wants us to shore up our strengths, but that's really not where we're special, right? I mean, what I always say is our weaknesses. Is that that, that is that or or yeah? To, wait, did I say the wrong thing? Sure, up I, our well, no. I mean, it's just <laughs> maybe it's me. I'm having trouble, but um, yeah, I think it's wonderful. I think it's really, really important, and I love your approach to focus on the strengths. At the same time, I would say you can't ignore the weaknesses. You do have to manage the deficits. You know, it is a, a disability in in some sense. There are some weaknesses that I. I think you have to keep in mind. I think my approach is, I hear what you're saying, but don't beat yourself up about it. I mean, when I do stupid stuff, I literally, I'm like, okay, that's my brain, whatever. Right. I totally agree with that. I totally agree. I also think it's super important for someone to have the self-awareness to think this, I mean, it sounds like your son is amazing and your communication with him is amazing and he's figuring out what he needs, right? For me- I figured out long before my diagnosis, for instance, I need to exercise in the morning. Yes. Every morning, right? To get my brain on track. And once I got the diagnosis, I understood the neurochemistry of that, you know, that that it totally makes sense. And so it became more important. Like I knew, I knew more that I needed to do it and I need to get enough sleep, right? For certain occasions, medicine does help me. Not, I don't take it every day, but I'll take it. Right. Yeah. I am lucky. I know if I have to slog through something and, and like you, if I have to give a talk, um, I can, I find it really helpful to kind of jog my memory, but I think having the ADHD diagnosis is a license to understand your own brain. Yes. That not a lot of people get. So in that way, it really is a gift, right? If you can get it early and you kind of have a map of your own brain for every person, it's different. Like you talk about fast processing speed or slow processing speed. Right. Everybody has a different constellation of symptoms, all. Which is what makes it so difficult, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's it's such a subjective disorder, but still to have, I mean, you know, like you have to answer these eight questions or whatever they are, the, the checklist about these different symptoms and boom, you've got the certificate. But in fact, it varies so much from person to person. But I think, I think having that label in a way, one of the fantastic things about it is it it allows you to learn more about your particular brain. And and that's that can be really a gift if you look at it that way. I completely agree. When my son was diagnosed, we took him to a psychologist, a local one here, who came highly regarded or highly referred. And she told us, <laughs> and I know we share this in common. If Once I get through the story, she told us, oh, well, your job as his parents is to reduce his expectations because he was super good. So he won't be disappointed in life. And then all that Russell Barkley stuff. Oh, my God. If they don't end up a convict getting a girl pregnant, they'll die of an ADHD related crash. Right. (laughs) And I'm just like, I cannot even listen to that. And I am like a ridiculous optimist, probably stupidly optimistic. No, no, I don't think so. It seems very successful for you. (laughs) I have to live life like that, right? Yeah. Although I have to say, when I was reading your book, 
I was at the Mill Valley Depot Cafe. Oh, and I half expected you to come walking through the door. Oh. <laughs> and I, I wasn't only reading it. I also was listening to the audiobook. Um, sometimes oh, I really need to get into material. I kind of do both. And then I might also do the Kindle so that I've got everything down. But I love that you were the one that read it. Because now, I, I mean, the, yeah, that read the book or the audio, right? That was, yeah, it was quite an experience. Maybe you'll do yours. I, I, I mean, think I will. Yeah. It's, it, it's a lot of work, Tracy. It, it, you know, it took days. But I'm so glad I did because I had another book made into an audiobook where somebody else read it. And I just was not as happy with it. it, it they don't get your intonation or your emotion about certain things. So, Yeah. 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 No, I I would be so upset if I couldn't do it. And considering the fact that, you know, they probably signed me up because of the podcast. <laughs> well, I'm, yeah. You know, I'm, they haven't said 100%, but it sounds like that's what will happen. What What do you mean? That I will read it. Oh, oh that you'll read it. Yeah. Good for you. When's the book coming out? Um, The end of the year. Great. It's It's really needed. I mean, I think you're positive. Uh, perspective is is really needed. And I'm glad you fired that psychologist because, right, I mean, you don't lower your child's expectations. I, mean, I don't care what my child strength. has, right? Yeah. I honestly, if they're intellectually disabled, what, I'm going to reduce their expectations? No. Yeah. yeah. Well, you find the whole thing that I learned, one of, one of my biggest learnings from this experience is you have to find their strengths and then fan them like a flame, you yeah. know, I mean, whatever they're good at. My, my son had a, had an interest in the world and languages. And I wish I'd really fan that flame early on because the more they're in a position to get positive reaction from the world, the, the more they thrive. So if, if it's just one thing, you have to figure out what that thing is. You know, that's so interesting because my son from the time he was a little tiny thing, same thing, interest in the world. <laughs> Unfortunately, with the dyslexia, the language is, you know, it's harder, although um, he's pretty fluent in Spanish. Oh, good um, for him. But I almost wonder if an interest in the world is really a sign of ADHD because, like, it, 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 is your son really interested in travel? Oh, Yeah. Yeah. New experiences. Yeah. I mean, novelty, right? Drama. You know, and brightness. And so Marcus um, is studying in Prague and out of all of the kids in the, you know, in the dorm. um, And I don't, there's hundreds of them, not maybe there's like, I don't know, 300 kids. He is the number one as far as has traveled to the most countries. (laughs) He should meet my son. (laughs) They'd really get along. Yeah. I think they would. Um, it's yeah. interesting. Um, there's a, oh my gosh, he's a YouTuber. Maybe your son knows him. And now I can't remember his name. He has red hair. And he, he I think, is the youngest person who, who traveled to all the different countries huh. in the world. And uh, my son has been following him since he was probably nine or 10. Wow. And, and I wish I could remember his name. But what's so funny is my literary agent is representing him. Oh my goodness. I told Marcus about it, and I think it's the only time he's ever thought I was cool, you know? (laughs) Good for you. I wish I could remember his name. Okay, could you tell the (laughs) the 911 Game Boy story? That friggin' made me laugh. Well, okay. How can I? 
we just had so many conflicts when when he was young and but the worst was when he was 9 years old we were arguing about something and he called me a bitch and i took away his game boy i was just so furious i he loved that game boy that game boy was his favorite thing to do and this kind of dates me because who has a game boy anymore but it's the equivalent of taking away i guess call of duty yeah so he reacted by calling 911. <laughs> the police came. Actually, they put my husband in one room and me in another. Oh and they us. And for a while, we were both thinking our son would be taken away. And this was the beginning of, you know, but then I heard, I heard a, uh, one of the cops and I heard him say, she took away your what? <laughs> uh, this was when I, we really realized what we had on our hands and it just, it got more intense from there. But he was somebody who was not going to take no for an answer, mm-hmm. was going to stick up for his rights, which I do admire quite a bit, and was going to question everything. And so you you try not to get into power struggles with somebody like that. One of the, the slides that I use in my talk is an image of two people playing tug of, of war with a rope and the rope breaking. And it, it just says, if you're in a tug of war, drop the rope. There's, there's so many things that you don't have to get into power struggle about. You just keep your eyes on the most important ones. Help the kid survive. Help him feel or her feel that they're loved. Yeah, Jill Bolte Taylor, I think it was a neuroscientist, says keep them alive till twenty five, which it, which I use as my motto too. So, given time and hindsight, basically, right? You now know Buzz is just fine. What lessons did he teach you about yourself as a, as a parent? I realized that I really had to look at myself. It, I wasn't in the right all the time just because I was the adult. And parenting him was the biggest challenge of my life, for sure. It was the hardest thing, right, that you've ever had to do. Clearly, yeah. It was It was absolutely the hardest thing I ever had to do. But I think it was the thing that changed me the most, mm-hmm. challenged me the most, and improved me the most. Parenting him ended up making me calmer. It ended up making me see what my priorities should be. I have thanked him for this <laughs> in the speech at his wedding. I, I told him just this, you know, that that this was the hardest, parenting him was the hardest thing I ever had to do. And I was also very, very grateful to him for that. I mean, I'm not grateful for some of the hard times that we had. Mm-hmm. I, but in the end, I mean, thank goodness, we've both come out alive and with a relationship intact. And I learned I had to just hold on. I mean, one of the smartest things I've ever heard was somebody saying, if your child is is just being horrible, ask what's going on. And and that's something that a lot of people who think parents of our generation are too indulgent would rant about. But to just pause and be the calm person and say, what's going on, has been one of the greatest strategies ever. Totally. Because there's a reason, right? I mean, they don't do it for nothing. They just, uh, one of the things that Buzz would constantly say to you is like, understand me. I want my attention, right? He was trying to tell you these things. You'd get little glimmers of it. I know it was bizarre, you know, if I just listened to him a little bit more. Yeah. But he'd say it in his pillow or, you know, because I don't know. I guess kids are 
what is it? Like kids feel like they, they shouldn't have to ask that or they're embarrassed to ask for it or like, what do we yeah, do to our kids? You know? was, and at the same time, one of the people I quote in the book says, having a child like this could bring out the child abuser in, in Mother Teresa. Right. <laughs> because <laughs> you, you are constantly provoked and you're constantly irritated and frustrated. And it takes a lot. It took a lot of meditation for me, a lot of psychotherapy just to be able to be calm with him. But it's had lifelong benefits. Wow. So how was Buzz or how is Buzz just like you? And then how is he the absolute opposite of you? I think that there were a lot of ways that we were alike. He made me remember that when I was young, my parents always used to complain about me that I needed constant attention and I never took no for an answer. What they called me in Yiddish was a nudge, which is a pest. A pest. <laughs> and it, 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 he brought back a lot of painful memories we're both kind of clumsy physically. Uh, you wouldn't appreciate my saying this because he he now plays excellent tennis. I mean, he's 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 quite a skilled athlete now. But when he was young, he ran around the bases the wrong way in baseball. <laughs> um, well, they're they're, they're a couple of years behind, right? Right. So the good things, the strengths of somebody with with ADHD, we're both really curious. We're both really enthusiastic and passionate about the things that we're passionate about. I wish I could be more like him in his ability to just say no. <laughs> Sometimes I have more trouble maybe being a woman, decisively setting boundaries, which he's somehow managed to learn to do. Yeah. Well, he kind of always did it. Yeah, right, right. You know? he, he, the people I, were not listening to his boundaries. I ended up respecting that more. I mean, he, you know, th there were there were some things definitely where I needed to be the parent and step in. You talk about marijuana. He convinced me that he needed marijuana to calm himself down. And I looked on the, I looked online and I found a bunch of therapists who were saying yes for ADHD kids, marijuana is great. So I ended up. I wasn't willing to stop there. So I ended up reporting a story for the New York Times about whether it really was a good idea. And the consensus is it's, it's not. No, it's, it's really not. not. Yeah. yeah. Kids with ADHD are probably the last people who should start a <laughs> exactly. marijuana. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So there were, there were definitely some areas where I had to say no to him. But the interesting thing there is that I had to learn to talk to him. He was never going to just accept no because I say so. That was not going to work. Yeah, but then you can show him the studies, right? Right. And then, and then he came around. Yeah. Yeah. What about how, how is he the absolute opposite of you? Or is he, is there any part where he is? Well, he hasn't had a child like him. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, wait. Uh, although it, he's it, learned it, it, so much now, right? From you. Mother's yeah. That was ah. my mother's curse. One day you'll have a child just like you. <laughs> so, so he hasn't gone through that experience of having to mellow out by force. So I'd say that's the way, the main way that we're not alike. Okay. I kind of figured that. I figured that, you know, as I was reading, I'm like, they are exactly the same. <laughs> <laughs> we're alike in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, okay. So that travel YouTuber, his name is Drew Binsky. Okay. I'm going to look him up. And, uh, you know, as I said, Marcus has been following him for years. And one of the reasons he went to Prague is that was the first place, I guess, I don't know where Drew is from, like Iowa or somewhere in the Midwest. And he had never traveled before. He ended up studying abroad, went to Prague, and that's what changed his life. So I kind of 
I think that that's partly why Marcus wanted to go there as well, which is interesting. Okay, so do you think the oppositional defiant disorder, I just hate that term, came (laughs) with or did it come after the ADHD? Do you think we create it? That's a really, really good question. There's all sorts of stuff online about whether we just want to smash people's personalities when they question in school or things like that. I think sometimes, yeah, I think, I think it's often a reaction. I didn't realize for years after just how much negativity he was getting in school after a certain age, just how many times he was told he was wrong or bad or uh, screwing up. And I think at some point, anyone with a decent energy or resilience is going to push back against that. So I, I saw that, you know, his questioning of authority in, in many cases was a good thing that kept him. It's funny. It, it sort of was a survival skill. I often would say that my son was a barometer of good and bad teachers. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. really. I mean, he could spot a good teacher a mile away and the good teachers no problem with authority whatsoever because he respected them. It was the bad teachers that he constantly pushed against. Yes, absolutely. My son did his best, his absolute best in fourth grade. He had a teacher who had the kids run around before they started class. They had to run around the field a couple times. And then in the middle of class, she would have them stand up and do a spontaneous hokey pokey. She was inspired. I, I'm pretty sure she had ADHD too, but he did Terrific. Oh, and the other thing she did was when he cleaned off his desk, when he managed to organize his desk, she took a picture of him sitting and smiling at his desk, you know, and I put that picture in the refrigerator. I mean, she was all about positive reinforcement, right? Absolutely. So what are the ADHD traits that you feel are responsible for your success? I think a lot of people have more inhibition than I do. And (laughs) where that is an advantage for me is that I have a lot of crazy ideas and I don't, somehow I don't have the brakes on all of them. So the flip side is that I often feel overwhelmed by ideas and kind of flooded. But the good side is that if I manage to write things down, when I think of them, I've always had, as a reporter, I've always had a lot of story ideas and as an author, and I sometimes see things, I think in a way out of the box I have a tremendous energy for things that I like and am interested in. And I think that energy is maybe some form of hyper-focus. And I'm tremendously loyal to people who understand me. Uh, So I have managed to make some really good friendships in recent years. You know, I was just thinking when you were speaking, uh, so good what you just said, because what I'm wondering is all these ideas and not a lot of inhibition. So we're constantly pushing ourselves forward. Why wouldn't we be more anxious and more uncomfortable? Because we're constantly foraging forward, right? Instead of just kind of staying in our little house and doing the same thing we've always done. Right, right. I have to have new things. I have to do new things. Yeah. And push myself outside of my comfort zone. And yeah. But as much as that is so fulfilling... I think it's also kind of anxiety provoking, right? Because there's always something new that you're doing that is out of your comfort zone. Right, right. 
Yeah, I took a, I took a knitting class because, you know, it's one more way to try to calm down. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still trying it too. behind that, totally. Yesterday, the teacher said, you really ought to take beginning knitting again. <laughs> <laughs> and it was so, it was so sad, but you know, I'm, I'm going to persevere with that, I think. Yeah. Well, and you really ought to just go to hell, teacher. <laughs> I'm doing my best. I know, I know. What is, um, what's your number one ADHD workaround? I would say, again, it's exercise. It's, it's making sure that I exercise in the morning. Luckily, we've got these three dogs, so usually I'll take them out for a, a brisk long walk and ride a bike or go to class, but it's got to be something before I start working. That's really number one. Number two is, is being easier on myself and not getting all caught up in my last mistake and being able to move forward. I do try to meditate. So before I give a a public talk or before this podcast today, for instance, I just tried to sit for at least five minutes and calm down. And that, so that, that's a lot of number one workarounds. <laughs> yeah, no, it sounds like that's almost your like trifecta, right? Of the things. Yeah, you. sure. Yeah. So are you working on something that you want to tell us about? I'm doing a ton of things right now. And the thing I think that most excites me is I formed a group of writers. I informally call it Tuesdays for Tomorrow, where we dedicate one day of the week to working on democracy, working on voter registration, writing for candidates who are pushing for better voting rights and things like that. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm doing a lot of work. I'm doing like six different consulting gigs. You have not. <laughs> so, but that's the thing that I really, really, really look forward to doing. Where can people find you if they want to know more about you and what you do? Thank you. www.katherineellison.com. And on my Facebook page, I have a Facebook page for people with ADHD, always putting new stuff on there. What's it called? Well, it's Catherine Ellison. If you look up Catherine Ellison author, it's an official author page. And you should have one of those. You probably have one of those, right? Not yet. Okay. Well, that's a tip there. (laughs) (laughs) The next thing I just needed to get it all off, right? Right, right, right. So Catherine Ellison is spelt with a K. So it's K-A-T-H-E-R-I-N-E-E-L-L-I-S-O-N. Perfect. Com, correct? Yes. Okay. We will also have that in the show notes. Catherine, it was such a privilege to talk to you today. I'm just, I was over the moon to read this book. And again, it's just... For, for Okay, what I want to say for people who struggle to read, which I do at times, it is so engaging and fun. It's literally, you just buzz right through it. <laughs> but in the same vein, it's really impactful. I really enjoyed it. I so appreciate that, Tracy. Thank you so much. And congratulations on your book. Thanks. So that's what I have for you for this week. If you like this episode with Catherine, please let us know by leaving a review. Our goal is to change the conversation around ADHD, helping as many women as we possibly can learn how their ADHD brains work so that they too may discover their amazing strengths. As always, you're listening to ADHD for Smartass Women. Come join me over at tracyoutsuka.com. Thank you so much, and I'll see you here next week. 
You've been listening to the ADHD for Smartass Women podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Outsuka, and we're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Not coincidentally, ADHD for Smartass Women, it's also the name of our free Facebook group. We're a totally smartass community of successful, ambitious women who share our ADHD wins, questions, and workarounds. Join us at tracyoutsuka.com, where you can also find more information on our Your ADHD Brain is A-OK system. I spy a happier life for us, and I'll see you again next week.